<laughs> Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Oh, I'm glad to be here with you all on this nice gray day. Um, I actually like overcast days like this. It's, I don't know, something about it just is nice for me. Uh, but my name is Ty Hall. I'm the worship pastor here at FCC. And Eric and I did actually, in fact, do, do the old crisscross switcheroo. That is the term for what these Sundays are now, crisscross switcheroo Sundays. Um, may it be so. Um, I'm actually really glad to be here with you all. We're in the middle of our series, Identity, and uh, Pastor Matt actually made a uh, joke about this service, uh, or the sermon series, because of uh, our wonderful uh, graphic. If you look at it and you don't read the DNA strands as eyes, it just says dent tie. Uh, please don't dent me. Uh, I appreciate uh, if you don't. But we are in identity and we're going through our four pillars of strategy. We're going through loving community, authentic worship, radical discipleship, and dangerous justice and mercy. Or in other words, what makes us as a church who we are? What are the things we should be striving for? What are the ways we live out our faith and when I heard we were doing this series a couple of months ago, I was actually really, really excited, and I knew that authentic worship was going to be one of the sermons. And as the worship pastor here, I felt it was appropriate uh, for me to preach this message, and in fact, I just walked down the office, knocked on Eric's door, and literally called dibs. You can ask him. I knocked on his door, and he's like in the middle of like serious work, and I'm in the middle of serious work, and I'm just like, hey, I called dibs. Um, uh, I do have to be real, though. When I came to FCC and first joined the staff uh, just under a year ago, I was having trouble remembering all of these. I would mix them up, I would swap words, and I'd end up with something like dangerous worship and authentic justice and mercy, or I would go straight 90s and everything would just be radical. It was just, everything was really rad. Um, radical community, radical worship, etc., etc. Uh, but someone on staff, who I will uh, let remain nameless, pointed something out. If you arrange these in a certain way, it spells lard. <laughs> and that has helped me remember these way too much. <laughs> But I do want to point something out, even though if you arrange them in a certain way, it does spell a word, and we are teaching the series in large order, uh, none of these are actually first or last. None of these are more important than the other. They're all sort of equal. They support each other in a way. The reason we call them pillars is because if you have four pillars supporting something and take one away, things get kind of unbalanced. Think of the chair that you're sitting in right now. If I were to take one of the legs away from the chair you are sitting in, you would probably pick a different seat for this morning, or we would have some real fun. <laughs> but all of these support each other really, really well, and that's why I'm really excited that Pastor Matt actually opened us up in this series a couple weeks ago with Loving Community because I just get to jump into what we're already talking about. And today we're talking about authentic worship. And when I say worship, I do want to point out something that's kind of an elephant in the room. If you've been around church for a while and I say the word worship, uh, something probably pops into your head, uh, kind of like a complete this statement. Go ahead, shout it out. If I say worship, what do you think of? Music, acoustic guitar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I heard music. I heard service, worship service, worship music. These are the things that we tend to think about if you've been around the church for a while. It's things that happen here in this building most of the time. And in buildings like ours across the Bay Area, across the country, and in churches across the world. 
Now, I want to say music is an extremely important part of worship, and it's an important part of the human experience. In fact, if you start at the beginning of the Bible and you just kind of turn pages until you find the first instance of musical worship, you'll end up in Exodus chapter 15. Uh, this is an incredible moment for worship music and a good example of what it actually looks like. So I'd like to park here for a little bit. And I could probably actually do a whole sermon series on the music that is found in the Bible, but we'd be here for a really long time. So I'm not going to do that. Um, but if you want to and you have a, a, a desire to learn more about what music looks like in scriptures, you can go back to our YouTube channel and look at our summer series from last summer about the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is an entire book of music written by various authors for various situations, purposes, and times, uh, you can go to YouTube and search fremont.church, look for our little FCC circle, and you'll find uh, Summer in the Psalms. But the song of Moses and Miriam in Exodus chapter 15, uh, it's sung right after the Israelites have escaped Egypt. Moses stretches out his hand, the Red Sea splits, the Israelites walk across on dry land, and then the Egyptians chasing after them get swallowed up as the waves crash back in on them. And as the waves die down, the Israelites, Moses and Miriam, sing this song, and the first few verses go a little something like this. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. Well, I really hope that you like the first four verses of Exodus chapter 15 because we are adding this song to the regular rotation here at FCC. I'm kidding, of course. I don't want to try and put that to music. That would be really tough. But uh, there is something I want to point out about this song. The first four verses of Exodus chapter 15 are super relevant to what the Israelites have just experienced. It is hyper-localized to what God has just done, and it celebrates who God is in the midst of these events. He is a warrior. He is a defender. He is a protector. He is a savior. And we do have songs that kind of mirror this idea. Now, in our modern worship, we don't necessarily have songs that speak to each of our individual experiences with what God has done, but we have songs that generally kind of express these ideas. We just sang the song, Do It Again. And the bridge says this, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. As followers of Jesus, we've seen God do incredible things, and we believe that he will be faithful and he will continue to do incredible things. Same God by Maverick City has some similarities to this song in Exodus as well. In Exodus, there's this little line referring to God's faithfulness. He is my God, and I will praise him. He is my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Calling out that God has been faithful not just to this current generation, but the generation before, and so on and so on. And same God starts each stanza of the verse by referencing an Old Testament pillar of the faith. I'm calling on the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David. Again, pointing out God's faithfulness through the ages. Now, there's a ton we could pull out of this first piece of musical expression in Exodus, but there's really one takeaway I want to focus on today. The words matter. I hope that you have a few worship songs that you just kind of vibe to. 
that you kind of jam to that gets stuck in your head a little bit that are something that musically speaks to you. But I would invite you and encourage you to take the music apart from it and just Google the lyrics. Just read through the lyrics of the song that you love, the worship song that you love, and meditate on them. What aspect of God does it point you toward? What scripture does it remind you of? How does it push you toward a more Christ-like life? There is a small observation I'd like to make about the songs that we sing in modern times today. They use a lot of first-person language, your eyes, your me's, your my's, your minds, etc. And this is understandable for most people writing a song. Like Moses and Miriam, they're focusing on how God has shown up in their life. But they are not alone in this idea. I'm glad we started the series with loving community because worship is done within loving community. I'm going to give another example of a song we sing regularly here at FCC. Promises, again by Maverick City, is a newer song in our rotation, but the chorus, the part we sing over and over again, starts with this. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. Now, even though when we sing this song, we are singing in first-person language, this is a singular person's cry out to God, we sing this truth together. God is faithful not just to us individual, he, he is, but he is faithful to us as the church. And I'm not just talking about here in this building, the church as a whole, capital C, church. Another one that we've been singing lately is Instrument of Peace. Uh, this one by the Porter's Gate, this version, and the chorus repeats over and over and order, over, Lord, make me an instrument of peace. And while we are calling out to God and asking him to transform us into peacemakers, we are asking him to transform us to look more like his son, to be instruments of peace in whatever circles we're in, whether it be work or school or a club or online, we are also asking him to make us as the church an instrument of peace, to be a peaceful point in our community, to be makers of peace as a group. This idea of corporate worship, though, this idea of singing something together is a little countercultural for us today. It's not something that happens really anywhere else. Uh, to cry out as multiple voices but unified in one thing, the closest I could get to that, there's two examples. The first example is a concert, and the second example is karaoke. And these two things are pretty different from a worship space of authentic worship, if you think about it. When you go to a concert, you are a spectator. You are literally buying a ticket to go watch a musician perform. And when we sing along with that crowd of people, it's because we love the music. Whether it bring up a memory of when you first heard that song or someone you were with, uh, you love the music. If I were to go to an Ed Sheeran concert, you better believe I'm going to be singing along to some of those songs, but they don't tell my story. They tell Ed Sheeran's story. Believe it or not, I didn't grow up by a castle on a hill. <laughs> Illinois is pretty short on both of those things, castles and hills. But I like singing along to the song. I like singing along to the song because it's catchy, it evokes a, a, a memory for me, but I really have no personal connection with the lyrics of the song. Karaoke, on the other hand, is something that we do participate in. 
But again, we're not necessarily telling our own story. If I walk up to the mic and I give a stellar rendition of Phil Collins Against All Odds, my connection to that music is actually pretty shallow. It's surface level at best. Again, I'm singing Phil's words. Um, but that's what makes worship music different. Even though someone else has written most of these songs, in fact, I think for all of us, there are going to be a very sparse few of us who actually write a worship song, these songs that we sing together have meaning for us. The church across the world, capital C, across the globe, is connected in a way that no other group of people can be connected. Even if we sing different songs in different languages with different genres of music, we are singing uh, to the God who has created us. We are praising him for who he is, what he's done, and how much he loves us. Not every church is going to sing, do it again. But every member of the body of Christ has seen God do incredible things, and we know that he is going to be faithful to continue to work in us and through us and around us. And so far, I've been talking a lot about worship music. I've been talking specifically about music that happens even in the church. But there's another aspect of worship that I'd like to talk about. It's, well, there's two, I think, that we can kind of compare and contrast. There's worship music on one side, and then this is not proper grammar or proper vocabulary or anything, so I apologize if that's your thing. But there's also worship life. There's worship music and worship life. Uh, but there's uh, the reason I kind of separate these two things is because if you think about worship music in terms of just the Sunday service, it's such a small piece of what we do. Here at FCC, we generally have a service that lasts about an hour, a little bit over, a little bit under sometimes. We have usually four songs with about five, song, uh, five minutes per song, so that averages out to about 20 minutes. So, assuming that all of us get eight hours of sleep on a good week, that amounts to about 112 hours in a week. So 20 minutes out of 112 hours in a week. And let's assume that every single Sunday you are here or at another church worshiping God, that averages out to just about 17 hours of worship in a full year out of 5,824. That's very small. <laughs> that is a very small amount. And I'll be honest, I don't know how authentic worship can feel if that's the only time you worship. But that's where I'd like to invite us to consider something. There's a definition of worship uh, share, uh, that I wanna share with you from a pastor in Atlanta, his name is Louis Giglio, and he describes worship as this. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. Notice there's no mention of music in that. Worship continues beyond the songs that we sing. It's expressed in the way that we live life. And in fact, there are other expressions of worship that happen here on a Sunday that we participate in that don't involve music. We have the sacraments of communion and baptism. Last week, we had three students get baptized, and that is an act of worship a public declaration of what God has done in their life. We celebrate communion here at FCC once a month, and we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, a physical act to remember who we are because of what Christ has done. That is an act of worship. Giving 
giving is an act of worship. When you give monetarily to the work of the church, I hope it's not just a box you check because the pastor told me I had to. I hope that this is an act of worship that you give with a cheerful heart, knowing that God is at work. Knowing that the money you give back to the church is just giving back what God has already given you and being a part of the mission that God has given us here in Fremont, California. There's also ways to give that don't involve money. Serving regularly is a mode of worship. In the Old Testament, part of regular corporate worship was uh, to bring an offering. And this would sometimes be money, but it would also be uh, crops and, and livestock. Uh, this was a way of saying, God, I've worked hard to cultivate these things, but I'm giving them back to you. I'm giving you the best of my harvest. I'm giving you the best calf I have because you are worthy of the best I have to offer. Because you are worthy. There are plenty of avenues here at FCC to serve that aren't on the worship team that are actually a part of authentic worship. For example, right now across the atrium from us, uh, Eugenia Kai is directing our children's ministry powerhouse. There is a group of adults and middle school and high school students who instead of sitting in the service with us here today right now are spending time with the children of our church. They have lessons and activities and games and those volunteers express worship to God through this act of service. God has either given them experiences or gifts that they can use to teach and relate to children and teach them who God is. And let's be honest, not everyone has those gifts. Not everyone can sit and talk about Power Rangers or Transformers or whatever for a very long time and wait for that moment to say, this is who God is. But that's what they're doing. And if you're sitting in this space right now and you're thinking, you know what, I think God might have given me some of that identity, please reach out to Eugenia Kai and see how you can get connected with Powerhouse or Elevate. But even still, there are plenty of other areas besides that. Let's say you're sitting in here and you are an extroverted soul. You love to talk. You love to meet people. You love to welcome people in. I would highly recommend getting connected with Pastor Matt Riding and seeing how you can be a part of our Connect team. Maybe you're more of a computer techie person. You understand what the computer does and the language that it speaks, or you have an eye for light design. I would talk to Josh Plummer and see how you can get connected to our tech team. These are ways to serve, to use the gifts God has given you and give back and worship. Maybe outside of FCC, let's go a little bit further out. Do you have a heart for serving our community? for meeting the needs of those who are in need. I would highly recommend going to the Compassion Network table and talking with Ruth Ritter and her team and seeing how, can, how you can be a part of what we're doing in Compassion Network. Or maybe you have an energetic spirit and are young at heart. We have a group of middle school, high school, college age, and young adults who meet on a weekly basis. And if that's something that you feel you have been gifted with, you have experiences in that, please talk to Pastor Becca and see how you can get connected to our youth ministry and our young adults ministry. And I could stand up here for a really long time listing all of the different ways that you can serve and the things that happen around here at FCC and the other ministries that we're a part of in the Bay Area but I just would encourage you to really think and pray about what are the ways that God has gifted me? How has he uh, given me experiences that I can serve as an act of worship? But I'd like to go back to that definition really quick one more time and read it out once more. Worship is our response 
both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. And I really want to focus on that last half of the the sentence, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. My invitation for us today would be to consider our life as worship. Worship is not just a piece of our life that we act out as we sing songs or as we serve one another. Everything we do is an act of worship. As I mentioned last week, we celebrated the baptism of three of our students, and Pastor Eric had a great description of why we do baptism the way that we do. When someone goes under the water, it's a symbol of them dying to the sin that we all have inside of us. And when they come back up out of the water, they are born again. They are alive in Christ once more. And that physical representation, that idea of being alive again once more, that part of our life, everything there is worship. The way we live is worship. And that's where I think the two concepts of worship music and worship life connect. When we gather to sing songs on Sunday, We are worshiping God for who he is, what he's done, how much he loves us. But are we authentically singing the words on the screen? Do we actually live in a way that reflects what we're saying? When we sing, Lord, make me an instrument of peace, are we really asking God to transform us into peacemakers? To give us gentle hearts and calm tempers, even in the midst of extremely frustrating circumstances with people at work or at school? When we sing, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, are we actually living with this in mind? Do we actually trust God when life is completely unpredictable? When we sing, your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness, I'm still in your hands, this is my confidence, you've never failed me yet, are we resting in this confidence, even when it's incredibly hard to do so? And by no means am I saying this is easy all the time. I don't want to confuse authentic worship with loud, happy-sounding songs where we clap every time and we're always on the two and four and we're dancing down the aisles. That isn't always what authentic worship looks like. Sometimes it is. There are seasons where life is worth celebrating. There are reasons to praise God openly and loudly and tell people what he has done in our lives. But there are seasons where it is incredibly difficult to sing these songs. It's difficult to praise God as a good God who cares about us and loves us when everything's a mess. And to be completely honest, church, that's where I've been for the last month or so. I'd like to introduce you to someone. Uh, I've got a picture. This is my Nana. This is my mom's mom. Uh, She is an incredible woman of God and a huge reason I am who I am today. She's a faithful follower of Jesus, a caring mother, the best Nana you could ask for, a great maker of mashed potatoes, uh, a kind soul, wise beyond belief, and a, uh, a good listener, and a killer at Mario Kart. <laughs> I was the first grandson, and she had two daughters, and she had to figure out what boys like. And so she bought a Nintendo 64 and pay- played on her own time. And Nana never let me win. <laughs> she never let me win. Me and my cousins and my brothers, we, there were tears. I'm not kidding or exaggerating. There were tantrums. 
didn't matter if it was a Nintendo game or Uno, Nana took no prisoners. <laughs> but about a month ago, Nana had a serious surgery, and due to complications with this surgery, she went home to be with her savior this past Monday. I was blessed to be able to go home and see her before then, and I will treasure those memories forever. But toward the end of her time here on earth, the hospice nurses told us that music actually soothes us. There's a scientific reason, I don't remember that part, but there's a reason that music soothes us. So I broke out my old guitar and I started playing. And let me tell you, it is hard to sing Great Are You Lord when I'm watching my mama and my Annie Barber go through one of the hardest experiences life has to offer. And it was in this moment God reminded me of a song, a song that one of our students here at FCC actually showed me and pointed out to me. The song is called Gratitude, and the chorus goes like this. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again because all that I have is a hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I have nothing else fit for a king, only a heart singing hallelujah. And that's the cry of my heart for the last few weeks. Gratitude for what God has done. And when I read the lines, I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again, I picture someone, the, the writer probably pictured something like this, where you throw up your hands, this is all, your body can't help but lift your hands in praise to what God has done. But in this season, when I throw up my hands, it's kind of more like this. It's kind of more like, God, that's all I got. <laughs> This is all I can do right now is I, I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again because that's as much as I can muster right now. And even though I can't praise God with as much strength and vigor as I want, I can still praise God because I know he is a good God. Hallelujah is a word we can tend to throw around here at the church and even in popular culture. But I want to break it down a little bit for us. Because if all we have is a hallelujah, what in the world does that mean? Hallelujah is two Hebrew words smushed together, translated through Greek, and then translated into English a little bit. So it's kind of a mess. But it comes from two Hebrew words. The first is halal. It means to extol, to praise, to give glory to. And the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. So literally, when we say hallelujah, we are literally saying praise God. And in this season, that's all I can do. I can't muster as much words as I would love to to praise God and the different aspects of who he is, but I can praise him. My praise has felt meek, though, and quiet in these last few weeks in my personal time. But as I played for my Nana and I heard her daughters singing praise and worship over her, I realized that this, in essence, is what authentic worship was as I was listening to them sing. A response to what was happening in our world grief and sorrow, but also hope and joy. Knowing that she wasn't suffering and that she was no longer in pain. And one day we'll see her again. But even still, there is grief. But that's where loving community comes in. We are not worshiping on our own. We have been blessed with people to come around us. My family back home has many people who have brought food and brought meals and been around to just listen and pray. And I have been blessed to have the people of FCC around me. I've had so many 
texts and Facebook messages and Facebook comments offering condolences and letting me know that you are praying for me and my family as we go through this. And even though I can't sing God is good, he is great, as loud as I would like to, I know that I have people around me who are singing this truth to me, who are letting me know that God is good. I'm going to invite the band back up onto the stage because we're going to continue to worship with song this morning. We're actually going to introduce this song, Gratitude, today. And as you learn it, as you listen to it, if you've heard it before, I would love for you to sing out. But as you get the hang of the melody and you get the hang of the words, I would love for you to also contemplate what these words mean. The first verse of the song goes like this. All my words fall short. I've got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs like I often do, but every song must end, and you never do. I love that last line because it fits well with this difference between worship music and worship life. Every song must end, but God never does. This worship service will end today. We only have two songs. These two songs will end today. But our worship of God with the way that we live our lives and the way that we serve and the way that we represent who Jesus is well never ends. And when the music picks up again next week, we worship God corporately together, lifting our voices to sing of who God is, what he's done, and how much he loves us, the incredible love that we have been shown but in the middle of this song, I, wanna, I wanted to do something a little different. There's a little bit of a longer instrumental break in this song. And so we'll have some scripture that appears on screen. Feel free to read that. Contemplate what it means for worship. What does it mean for us? What does it look like for us to authentically worship God with the way that we live, with the way that we sing, with the way that we respond to him? Let's pray together. God, you are a great God. You are a God who loves us, who cares for us more than we could ever imagine or conceive. And God, we praise you for that. We praise you for who you are, not just this morning, but God, also Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the weeks, months, and years afterward. God, not lifting words of happiness and joy because we feel that way all the time, but God, because we know they are true. God, we know that you are faithful to us. We have eternal hope as followers of Jesus. And so God, we thank you. We lift our gratitude to you for who you are, especially when it's difficult to do so. God, we love you. We worship you this morning. We pray all this in your name. Amen.